There are just some foods, aren't there, that are just not worth eating unless it has a key ingredient in it. I have discovered that one of those key ingredients for me is chocolate chips. I, I don't think we should be allowed to call something a cookie unless it has chocolate chips in it. Not, amen. I thought I would get a few witnesses on that this morning. You know, there's a lot of good cookies out there, and, and sometimes, you know, you make those peanut butter ones where you squash it with the fork, you know, in the middle, and or you make oatmeal ones with raisins in it, and, you know, even those are so much better if you add cho- chocolate chips. Take the raisins out, <laughs> insert chocolate... The spirit is working in this place today, you know? Yeah. But it's not just with cookies. Man, if, if I don't get a brownie mix that has the chocolate chips also in it, I just don't want to eat those brownies. I want to eat the brownies that have the chocolate chips. And it's not just cookies or brownies. It's also breads. I mean, banana bread, zucchini bread, pumpkin bread, apple bread, whatever kind of vegetable or fruit you want to use to make it. It's better with chocolate chips. Give it a try. It'll make those fresh zucchinis from your garden and that bread come alive even more. Not too long ago, we woke up on a Sunday morning and the girls were like, Daddy, can we have some pancakes? And I looked in the kitchen. We had eggs. We had plenty of milk. Went to the pantry. We had a whole new unopened big box of pancake mix. But then I looked where the baking section is that, you know, is so nicely organized by my wife in the pantry, and there was no chocolate chips. I was like, girls, we can make pancakes, but there's no chocolate chips. And they're like, no, let's have something else. I was like, these are girls after my own heart. I have raised them well. There's just some things that are just so much better with chocolate chips. That and also mayonnaise. Have you noticed that? Oh, I got some groans on that one. Artichokes, potato salad, guacamole. If you have never made guacamole with, Ken is giving me a witness in the back, with a dollop of mayonnaise in it, it'll change your life. I think if you have a sandwich without mayonnaise on it, it warrants asking forgiveness for that. Just, it has to have mayonnaise on it. Even peanut butter sandwiches. Oh, come on. Peanut butter and jelly gets all the love, but don't sleep on peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches. And if you add a little banana to that, and I'm not saying you put... A lot of mayonnaise, just a tiny little bit to moisten the peanut butter. Some banana with that. Oh, it is heavenly, let me tell you. There are just some things that are better with a key ingredient. What is your key ingredient that you just can't do without for some of your favorite savory or sweet dishes? I hope yours are a little healthier than mine. It's not exactly, you know, chocolate chips and mayonnaise. It's not really a good model for Adventist healthy living. I know. Maybe yours. I hope yours. I'm looking at Laura. I know, Laura, yours would be healthier. Yes. And they're delicious. Yeah, which I had many uh, 
delicious, healthy things while living at your place. It would have been better with chocolate chips. <laughs> but everything's better with chocolate chips. What is the one additive that you just can't do without? Family, I'm so excited. We're starting a brand new sermon series on the book of Acts, that powerful book that chronicles the start of God's church and all the things that he he accomplished through those early believers. And right from the get-go in the book of Acts, right from the beginning, and honestly throughout the entire book, but right from the beginning, we get the tone set for us that the most important thing, there is a key ingredient that as Christians we absolutely cannot do without and that is the Holy Spirit. As we'll see in the coming months, there's going to be many important themes and teachings in the book of Acts. You know, we, we, we see what it means to be a witness for Christ, how to live in community as the body of Christ. We're going to see powerful examples of prayer and miracles and serving others, dealing with suffering, how to be a disciple, make other disciples. But we'll also see throughout the book that there is one key ingredient that is involved with all of that, and that all of that is powerless, meaningless, unless we have God's presence involved with it. He truly is the Holy Spirit, the additive that we cannot do without in our Christian life and journey and ministry. And there's many reasons we could say as to why the Holy Spirit is the key ingredient for all we do as Christ followers. Today we will touch on just two reasons. There's so many more, but just two reasons that I think the opening verses of Acts tells us to pay attention to. So let's open to the text. Acts chapter one, if you have your Bibles or maybe that you have it on your phone, your tablet, or the words will be on the screen as well. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I just imagine Jesus going like this at that moment. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I I think the text tells us that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is such a key ingredient in our lives is because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us, who instructs us, Did you see all the teaching and instructing that Jesus was doing? The 40 days before his ascension, continued to teach and instruct his disciples, gave them proofs about how he was alive, talked about his kingdom. And then did you notice in there that it talks about, Luke talks about how it was the Holy Spirit that was involved in instructing the disciples throughout Jesus' ministry with them. And when the disciples show that they are still a little clueless about how and when God's kingdom will be established, 
It's the coming of the Holy Spirit that's going to set them straight and empower them for witness. The Holy Spirit is so key because he is our instructor, our teacher. This matches up well with what Jesus himself said about his presence. In John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Skipping down to verse 25, he goes on to say, All this I have spoken with you while spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And skipping over to John chapter 16, he says, I have much more to say to you, in verse 12, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. I am so thankful for God's presence, aren't you? That guides us to all truth, teaches us all things. He's our instructor. But, you know, sometimes I, I have a little bit of, a, of wrestling that I have over this concept, this truth of, 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 G, or of, of the Holy Spirit being our instructor, the fact that he can guide us to all truth, teach us all things. It made me especially wonder about those moments, and, and in ministry you get a lot of these moments, and they're, they're good, but, but as a pastor, often you get people who will come to you and say, Pastor, I think that on this particular issue, this theological you know, topic or, or this verse, it, it should be interpreted this way. It should be understood this way. In fact, I feel very impressed by the Holy Spirit that this is the understanding we should have. And then somebody else will come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I've been praying, I've been thinking, I've been studying, and I think that this is the theological understanding that we should have of this particular text. This is the way we should apply it. This is how we should move forward. And I feel very impressed the Holy Spirit has, has made that known to me. And their understanding is completely opposite of the first person that came and talked to me. And sometimes I have a third idea of what I think maybe is the right approach or the right interpretation. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's really following the Spirit? Well, you might say, Darren, the one who's in line with Scripture, but we're all using Scripture. We're all using it to support our answer. And I got to say that almost every time this happens, it's with people who have sincere, genuine convictions. They love God, and they, they're just seeking to, to know what His truth is, what His will is. How do we make sense of that? How do we deal with that? The Spirit is supposed to lead us to all truth, right? Well, I, I said all that, but I don't have a good answer for you <laughs> as to, the, to how to approach fixing that dilemma. But I think I could at least say this, that the place I should always start, that all of us should always start working through that kind of challenge is by recognizing that the truth that the Holy Spirit is really guiding us to is Jesus himself. Is he not, after all, the way, the truth, and the life? 
Sometimes I feel like we like to use the Holy Spirit to confirm our own convictions or teach our own preferences when what we should be doing is letting him teach us more about Jesus. In those texts we read from John, he says things like, the Spirit will reveal to you what I have made known to him. He will remind you of everything I have said and taught you. In Acts chapter 1, the Spirit's work seems to be instructing them on Jesus and and proof of his resurrection and his kingdom. I think the Holy Spirit's instructions and teachings are key because they are primarily to give us a fuller understanding of just Jesus himself. That's always where I would bring my focus back when we have that kind of dilemma. And what could be more important, more key to our Christian life and journey than knowing and understanding more fully Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Then I see another reason the text gives as to why the Holy Spirit is such a key ingredient we can't go without, and that is because without the Spirit, we have no power for mission, no power to witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'll just read again in case you missed it, but you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You know, so often when I think about God's presence, I think about it from the point of view of how it benefits me. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm really having this difficult dilemma, this tough decision I have to make, and, and I need your presence to give me wisdom on, on, on what to choose, how to go forward. Lord, I have this really stressful situation. I need your peace that passes all understanding that only your presence can give. I need that in this moment, Lord. I need you to get me through the challenge ahead. And there's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. We absolutely should seek God that way, seek his presence in those situations. But we can't forget that the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to help us be a witness for Christ. Those of you who came to our Vespers last week on Saturday evening were blessed, and I got permission from Joanna to to share this. She was at first service. We're blessed by the testimony that Joanna Shedd gave. And there was many things that inspired me from what she said, but one of the things in particular was how she kept talking about looking for opportunities to be a witness for God throughout this whole difficult detour that her cancer diagnosis has taken her on, that she's embraced as her road, and and now looking for opportunities for God to use her when she comes in contact with whoever she comes in contact with because of that journey. She talked about how she loves talking to her doctor, who's not a believer, about how her faith is what's sustaining her and and getting her through this difficult time. Her support group that she interacts with, all these different people whose paths now cross her, she sees it as an opportunity to be a witness. In fact, um, when I asked her if she'd be willing to share her testimony that evening, she texted me right back and said, Absolutely, I never turned down, she said this too on Saturday night, I never turned down an opportunity to share what God has done in my life. And I thought, that's, that's what being a witness is. And when you think about it, it makes sense that only the Holy Spirit can empower us to do that because being a witness is just telling what God's presence has done in your life. No wonder it can only be empowered. 
by the very presence of God. Uh, E. Stanley Jones is kind of a well-known American missionary uh, and pastor, passed away now early in mid-1900s, was the height of his ministry. He especially was an effective ministry in, in India. In his youth, however, when he was sensing God calling him to ministry for him, he was uh, torn between, was God calling him to be a lawyer? He was very interested and passionate, skilled in that area, or a preacher. He finally decided that he would be a preacher and be God's lawyer, he says, to present his brief for him, to plead his case. Many relatives and friends came to hear the very first sermon that Elder Jones preached in his church. So he's, I'm accepting your call, Lord, to be a preacher. And here's his first sermon. Many friends and family are there. After six sentences into his message, he made a mistake. He used a non-existent word. He said, indifferentism. He saw that it brought a smile and a chuckle to a lady in the front row of the audience, and his mind went blank. After a long sentence, he managed to blurt out, uh, well, friends, I'm sorry to tell you, but I have forgotten my sermon. And he began to walk back to a seat in the first row in shame. But then he heard God speaking to his heart. As he began walking back, he heard this question. Haven't I done anything for you? Yes, of course, Lord, you have. Then couldn't you just tell that, came the question. Perhaps I could, he said. So instead of taking his seat, he then turned around in front and addressed the congregation. Friends, as you can see, I can't preach, but you've seen the change that God's presence has had in my life. And while I can't preach, I do love the Lord, and I will witness for him the balance of my days. Jones says that he said more things kind of like that to fill in what he called the awful blank. After the service, a young man came up to him and said, I want to find out more about what you have. Elder Jones's witness was powerful, not because he had a perfectly crafted and delivered sermon, but because he just testified to what the presence of God had done in his life. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us, a powerful testimony to share. So there you have it. Two very important reasons, there's many more, but two reasons the Holy Spirit is so key and that we can't do without him in our Christian life and journey. I'd like to share with you one more thing in in regards to those two reasons. I really like the way this New Testament scholar, Ajith Fernando, summarizes these two reasons in his commentary on the book of Acts. He describes it as the Holy Spirit really giving us two things a sound mind and a warm heart. I really like that. In fact, if there's anything that you remember from the sermon today, I would love for it to be that. The Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind and a warm heart. You probably, I hope you don't just remember, I love chocolate chips and mayonnaise and everything, but that you remember that the Holy Spirit gives you a sound mind and a warm heart. And he starts to talk about how he, he could see over the, over the years, over the centuries, how different people who, had the, who uh, let the Holy Spirit give them a sound mind and a warm heart did amazing things for God. I just want to read you an excerpt from uh, his commentary on Acts. He says this, The history of the church is studded with beautiful examples 
of Christian leaders and movements that integrated the warm heart and the sound mind. From earlier centuries, I think the Apostle Paul, Origen, John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, the Puritans, Blase Pascal, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and Charles Finney. In our century, I can think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, E. Stanley Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, J.I. Packer, John Hayford, Henry Nowen, John Piper. There's many more we could add to that list also. It would be good for us to linger with these giants so that something of their ability to integrate the warm heart and sound mind might rub off on us. However, we find it difficult to linger with such people because the demands of our rushed and specialized age make this difficult. The integration we are talking about comes from grappling with many areas of life at the same time, and that is difficult in our specialized world. I think our world is getting more and more specialized. We prefer to have our specialist scholars and specialist spiritual writers, you know, have their different emphases. As long as we permit such fragmentation of truth, we are going to have an anemic church that does not know the depth of what it means to know God out of a foundation of, of objective reality and an experience of deep spirituality. From Acts 1, then, we can infer that the ideal Christian teaching is done by spirit-empowered individuals whose teaching is grounded on the objective facts of the gospel and should result in evangelism. I love that. Sound mind, warm heart. I, I found that very interesting. I don't know if you did, but then what I also found very interesting, after I read his summation of that, I thought, I'm going to go see what one of my favorite authors had to say about those two things that the Holy Spirit did here in this chapter. Here's what Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles. She says, Christ's visible presence, and I should say she spends a lot of time in this chapter highlighting how much instruction Jesus gives and the Holy Spirit gives to the disciples up to this point. Christ's visible presence was about to be withdrawn from the disciples, but a new endowment of power was to be theirs. The Holy Spirit was to be given them in its fullness. I really think that's, simply put, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, experiencing his fullness, sealing them for their work. The Savior knew that no argument, however logical, would melt hard hearts or break through the crust of worldliness and selfishness. He knew that his disciples must receive the heavenly endowment, that the gospel would be effective only as it was proclaimed by hearts made warm and lips made eloquent by a living knowledge of him who is the way, truth, and the life. I think maybe Ajith Fernando, if I look in his bibliography, maybe the Acts of Apostles is there because I think they're getting to the same kind of point. The Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind, warm heart, and I think we run into trouble when we try to emphasize one more than the other. They go together. And that's why he is such an important ingredient for our Christian life and ministry. So now what? Now that we know the reasons why he's so important, we know there's many others, but those two very important reasons, how do we experience his presence? How do we receive it? How do we, as in verse 5 says, get baptized by the Holy Spirit, experience the fullness of his presence? 
You know, we could do a whole nother sermon just on what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We don't have the time today to go through all that. But maybe we could at least start by saying this. Maybe it's as simple to think about it this way. To just simply make time to seek his presence. That's what seemed to be the process of the disciples here. Jesus tells them first to do what? To wait, right? You have to wait for the gift of the Spirit. You, you got to put things on hold. You can't just, you know, go, go ahead right now. You have to pause. You have to allow time and space to be set aside for the Spirit to come and work. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wait very well. I don't pause too good. I am not very skilled in putting things on hold. And I think in our busy world where it's constantly on the go, we're constantly connected, it's hard for us to find that time and space to pause with God, to wait with Him in His presence, or wait for His presence. You know, there's something wonderful that the Southeastern California Conference does for its pastors that I am going to be blessed by in a few weeks called The Journey. It's a retreat. I'm sure you've heard it. Pastor Ken is, is really involved with it. Pastor John Ciccarelli uh, is very involved with it. They both spearhead it. And uh, it's coming up in a few weeks, and I have to be honest with you. I am already getting anxiety about all the things that I have to put on hold <laughs> in order to go to that. It's like three full days at Pine Springs Ranch, you know, a lot of quiet time in the Word, reflection, prayer, worship time. I need that, but I'm already feeling like, Lord, do I really have time to do that? In fact, last week we had an orientation meeting. We had to go to the conference office. It was just gonna be an hour or so and, and not just talking about what the retreat will be like, but we spent time together studying God's word and praying all the pastors who were starting the journey retreat together. And I had a text that I had written about a half hour. You know, I had to leave, you know, and get to La Sierra on time. About a half hour before, I had a text written. I, don't, I didn't tell John and I didn't tell Ken this. I said, John, I'm sorry, I just don't have the time to come today. I, there's so many things on my mind and, and I just, I can't do it. And I almost sent it, but then I felt impressed. No, you gotta go. I, I know you're, you're swamped, but you gotta go. And boy, was I grateful that I went. It was exactly what I needed, that time in the word, that time in prayer with my fellow pastors. And at the end of our meeting, as this was still on my mind, John said to us, you know, when the retreat comes, it is gonna not feel like a convenient time to go. That's the way it's been for me every single year. <laughs> but you gotta take the time. I think time is what God's presence needs the most to work in our lives. What kind of time are you taking with God? What kind of pauses are you allowing in your busy life for God and you to get together? And when you are together, are you deliberately seeking his presence? Are you asking for it? Are you saying, Lord, I just want to experience the fullness of your presence, to just be baptized in it, immersed in it, clothed in it, filled with it? I have to imagine that's what the disciples were praying for, something along those lines as they were waiting those days leading up to the Pentecost. 
I mean, what else would they be praying for? Jesus just told them, you got to wait, and you're going to wait from the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that's coming. I mean, what else would be on their minds? Well, Lord, we're waiting. We're waiting for your presence. Please send it. Please send it. What else would they have been praying about? I think taking time to be with God is important, but I also think what we ask for him in that time is important. I picked up an old book that I hadn't read in a, uh, for a number of years, and it was a book that was written a number of years ago by Morris Venden. It's called Your Friend, the Holy Spirit. Just a short little book. I don't know if any of you have read it. If you haven't, you can still find some cheap copies on Amazon. Get it in a few days. I highly recommend it. He has a chapter in there that says, or that's titled, How to Receive the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he outlines several steps to receiving it. But the one that caught my attention the most was one of the last ones he gives, where he says, deliberately ask for it. I want to just read you an excerpt from his book. In order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must ask for it. That's simple enough, isn't it? Just ask Luke chapter 11 verse 13 says that God is willing to give his spirit to those who ask. If ye then, being evil, know how to do, how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? A promise does no one any good until it is accepted. That's true if you're talking about offers for premiums and merchandise and advertising, or it's true if you're talking about the offer of salvation for sin. No matter how trivial or tremendous the promise may be, no one is given what is promised unless he asks for it and receives it. And the same is true for the promise of the Spirit. We must ask. It's important to take that time with God, but what are you asking for as you take that time with him? I can't think of anything more important than his presence. Family, the next time you reach to add that special ingredient to one of your favorite dishes, I hope it reminds you that there is something else that you can just not do without in your life, and that's the presence of God. I know that I'm never gonna look at a chocolate chip or a jar of mayonnaise the same way. I know it's gonna trigger in my mind, oh yeah, God, your presence, that's what I need in everything I do. The next time you reach for your favorite additive, I hope that's what is reminded in, in you, that you just can't go without God's presence. But more importantly, I hope that reminder leads you to make time to deliberately ask for God's presence to be in you. Let us become more aware of your presence, Lord. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing that could ever come close to that. So, Lord, we want to commit today to making time to invite your spirit to flood and fill our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.